All-American Gunslingers presents Ubaldi Reports. Hey everybody, it's John at Ubaldi Reports, the one podcast that provides fact, not fiction, on issues impacting America, whether globally or internationally. And with me, I got my Ubaldi Reports roundtable with Joe, Cody, and Ray. All of us are veterans, minus Cody. We're all just veterans trying to impact America, at least just inform the American hey, you people. Know what? Cody on... is a veteran enthusiast. There okay, so there we go. And he's a good veteran enthusiast. But we just want to impact Americans. I'm not saying you accept everything I say or believe everything I say, but it gets us thinking about issues that are impacting America. And right now, the big thing in the news, it just seems like it's all 24-7, is what's going on between Israel and Gaza. But the one thing that I wanted to bring up today is the massive anti-Semitism in America. And you're seeing this at college campuses. You're seeing protests um, all over the United States and at the different um, universities, even here in Florida. And I just never saw this type of anti-Semitism. Now, most of the things I don't think people quite understand the different complexities of the issues between Hamas and Israel. But the one thing that disturbs me is when people are supporting Hamas who don't understand what Hamas stands for. Now, Anthony Blinken, who's the Secretary of State, he was on Capitol Hill yesterday, and he meant, he relayed a story that was that's factually. When Hamas went into Israel, in southern Israel, on October the 7th, they went into one home, they eye-gouged the father in front of his family. They cut the, this may be graphic for some, they cut the breasts off the mother, they cut a foot off a young girl, cut the fingers off a young boy, then burned them alive, and then sat down at the table in the home and had a meal. So these are what some of the protesters support. But then you see the rash of anti-Semitism. The FBI just arrested an individual at Cornell University who said, all Jews must die. There was even a post that said, if you see a Jewish student, follow them home and then slit their throats. Jews are rats. So we're seeing this anti-Semitism. And even the problem is President Biden hasn't fully condemned it. I mean, Corinne Jean-Pierre, his press spokesman, stated that when pressed with this two weeks ago, she says, well, I haven't seen we haven't seen the evidence to support that anti-Semitism. Well, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, was on Capitol Hill, and he said 60, 60% or more of religious hate is directed at the Jewish faith. So there is some this this vein of anti-Semitism. And then I believe it was at Cornell or Columbia University, right after the attack on the um, in Israel that killed all those individuals, and even 250 at a peace um, festival— <laughs> He was out there saying, this is awesome. This was awesome what Hamas did. And I, it, just, it just pales comparison how people don't see this. And you're seeing the massive anti-Semitism that's on these college campuses. So, I mean, what are your guys' thoughts? I think this is just ridiculous. And actually, my question to you uh, was, you know, what, w- what was the reasoning and behind um, their actions as to why they decided to sit down at the table after they did all those horrific things to that family. It's just, was- but I think it's the reason they sat down is because they look at the Jews as a dehumanizing aspect. That's what they're taught. Now, when I was in Iraq in 2005, 
we went into an elementary school, and I saw textbooks that said this. They're teaching them about war. They're teaching them about killing Jews. And if you look at one of the ter- the Hamas terrorists that they captured, the is he said we went in there to kill them. We didn't care. We were there to we were shooting at babies. So it it pales into comparison. Do people really know who Hamas is? And I was on my radio show that I do outside of Tampa today, and I explained who Hamas was. They're a very fanatical religious aspect of Islam that take, goes back to that Wahhabist version that's ingrained in the Muslim Brotherhood. So um, why, why? okay, we were kind of talking about why all of a sudden the you know, anti-Semitism is rampant. Does it have anything to do with like the previous administration on how they were pro-Israel um, and now that... There's kind of like this conflict going on. It's just maybe something just to pick a side about. Because like, I think we would think that, uh, including in Congress right now, um, Israel, we're, the Republicans are pro-Israel as well. Correct. So when I just kind of set the group off to be anti well, there's, in order there's, to go against the grain? There's many different reasons, and I don't think it was the, the previous administration. I just think this has been ingrained. Because if you look at our educational system through the K-12 through system, it's they're pushing an ideology. Now, I was a substitute at a local high school here, and I remember during the 2016 election, there were two students. One of the female students, she supported Hillary, and the male student supported Trump. So they were kind of jostling back and forth, you know, friendly, joking around. And then one of the students asked me, so who do you support? And I said, you should know who I support. If you support Hillary, fine. Stand by your candidate. If you support Trump, fine. Stand by your candidate. Debate the the ideas and facts. And maybe she brings up something. Maybe you bring up something that she didn't fully research or she didn't quite get all the facts on that. Learn from it. Don't base it off emotion. But I don't think in a, a, a public instructor, especially when you deal with children or kids, that you should impart your views to them. Mm-hmm. You present the idea and let both sides be heard. But once you do that, and I think you go through K through 12, they get indoctrinated. Then they go to college because when I was in college in the um, early 90s, a lot of the professors in my, the, my discipline, and I was a government major, they were all liberal. And there was one professor, when he taught his class, it was Republicans are evil and the Democrats have got everything right. And... He didn't want to hear another opposing view, and it's gotten worse. Um, there's been re- numerous polls and surveys that showed a lot of these universities have not one Republican, conservative-leaning, or libertarian professor. They only have either liberal or far-left liberal professors. So they can push anything they want to push. Like there was... um. I think it was Yale, but don't quote me on this. One of the Ivy League students, I mean schools, gave um, field trips. You get a, a extra credit for a field trip to go protest what's going on. And the question is, would you give them credit if they were going to a pro-Second Amendment rally or a pro-life rally? Mm-hmm. Probably not. No. But see, this is what we're getting. These kids. Or what about Trump rally? Or a Trump rally. But remember Yale in, I think it was 2018, during the Kavanaugh hearing, they allowed the law students 
Yale Law students, and we got to remember, when you're at Yale Law, you have a great track to be on the Supreme Court at some point. I would think most of your court um, Supreme Court jurists either come from Yale, law, um, Harvard, or any of the, the Ivy League schools. So they allow their students in law school to go protest Kavanaugh because he sexually assaulted Christine Blasey Ford. But the question I would say is, what evidence did you, was presented to say that they met? So I had a, a thought here, and I wanted to get your opinion on it, okay. on kind of understanding where this anti-Semitism is coming from. And what I see is a good correlation between what college-age students think they know about Hamas and the BLM movement. Because you see, they see this group as victimized. They saw Correct. Palestine victimized by Israel. Um and then they saw that group lashing back out. Correct. And now they're refusing. They're either trying to justify the acts of violence or refusing that they happen. Evidence by our own comment section. Well, no, I, I would agree. Well, isn't it kind of like confusing uh, the Afghans with to the Taliban too? Well, exactly. Isn't that, it's kind of like I mean, a, it's similar. People need to understand how Hamas got there. Hamas took um, was formed in 1987 in response to the first Intifada. And intifada means shaking off. This is where the, to uh, rebel against the Israel occupation of Gaza and the West Bank. But in 1980, um, 2005, there was an election, either 2005 or 2000, there was an election. And the Palestinian Authority, which was the uh, harbinger of the PLO under the Fatah um, organization, ran the Gaza Strip. But Fatah, or the, the Palestinian Authority under Mahmoud Abbas and others, was so corrupt that the, the Palestinians said, we're, we're sick of this. They didn't like Hamas, but there was the lesser of two evils because Hamas campaigned during that time, we'll solve some of your problems. And then once Hamas took over, there was no free elections. And all these individuals who protest Hamas, if you're a feminist and believe in women's rights, good luck over there. There is no women's rights in the fundamentalist community. You're there to to do what they tell you to do, and you're there to shut up. It's the same thing with LGBTQ. People need to understand the fundamentalist would have you killed if you're gay. So Beach Baby 226 said before, have we failed to educate our students about the Holocaust? We have, because look at Americans don't even know understand other people's history, let alone our ours. And when you go to World War II, I have a friend of mine who used to teach uh, U.S. history, and he taught military history at a, a charter school in Arizona. When it comes to World War II, I think anybody can say, tell me something about World War II. Pearl Harbor, atomic bomb, and maybe the concentration camps. And people need to understand, the reason we know about the Holocaust is something that President Eisenhower did when he was the Supreme Allied Commander. There was a, um, he wanted to have everybody see it. And there was elements in the Western powers not to show this because it was so horrific at what happened. He said no. He brought in every German <laughs> citizen from age 12 on up. He brought in reporters, the military, anybody who could. He wanted, him to st he wanted them to see that because he didn't want to say 40 years or 80 years it didn't happen. And there's massive evidence to say it happened. But we're not educating our, our students. When a report came out in um, 
May of this year when only 13% of eighth graders are proficient in history or civics. So do you understand why we're at this point now? And a lot of these students are just filled with this rage by these professors. And I think that's where you get this anti-Semitism. They just see as Israel as the oppressor, and they don't realize Israel hasn't been in Gaza since 2005. Uh, so I think I have might have a solution. you got to bear with me on this one a little bit here. But okay. a few months ago, maybe even a year ago, one Kanye West said some very disparaging comments about Jewish people, okay. and he was considered an anti-Semite for his comments. Mm-hmm. Now that there is more of like an anti-Semitism movement, if Kanye would kind of just step in and kind of be like, yeah, I mean, there would be some conflict going on just over his kind of stance because are there like, well, no, we don't like Kanye because he's anti-Semite or we like Kanye because he's anti-Semite. But so see, but that's the problem is Colin Powell once said, when someone says something racist, you need to condemn them for it, no matter who they are. Okay. But look how we got right now. I mean, Rashid Tlaib, she still puts on a in her Twitter feed that Israel bombed a hospital when every evidence showed it wasn't Israel. But she's, she still puts it out, and 36 million people viewed that tweet. When you have a president who can call out white supremacy or MAGA Republicans, because Peter Ducey from Fox asked Corinne Jean-Pierre that, and she said, we all call out hate. Do you really do that? Have you really condemned those students? Have you called those students extremists? Have you called the professors extremists? Have you called that one professor who said this was awesome from Columbia? <laughs> Now, can you imagine? No, if the there's, world... there's been some repercussions from what people have said in, but, in regards to that. There's been doctors. There's been there's a lot of um, lot of the funding for the schools that people correct. for those people they have dropped out or they've taken their funding away from those schools that are kind of but think they would, support this. But Joe, what would have happened if a conservative professor? Had come out and said, "No, we we would understand it. That's what would happen. We, we we I mean, you're kind of that's always the flip of two coins. You're always looking at, well, what if this had been somebody else or something like that? We got to take whatever we have now. No, I know, and but the only reason it. I say that, if you want to condemn or stop anti-Semitism, you have to do it all over. All, you everywhere. have to hold everybody to the same standard, and it's not equally applied." I mean, because, I mean, look at President Biden. He always calls out MAGA extremists. Has he called out any extremist in his own party? Why has no Democrat called out Rashid Tlaib but it's gonna for have pushing a, out a, a... It's going to blow up in their face anyway. Well, I mean, but you, see, right, okay. we're, we're kind of in the mentality right now to just give them enough rope to hang themselves. Okay, but what you said, it is starting to blow up on them because yeah. right now... I know they always report on the, the fighting inside the Republican Party. Right now, there's a massive fight among the Democrats. There was two Democratic Congress, uh, re, re, congressional representatives basically are coming to fist blows. One was criticized over his stance on Israel. The other one was criticized for his stance for the Palestinians and stuff. And they said some disparaging things. And one said, if he's a man, let's go and do this out like, like men do outside. Mm-hmm. So you've got this rift that's going to have electoral problems because 
just from one side, you've got a, a major Muslim population in Michigan, in Detroit. They're against the president. They voted 59% for Joe Biden in 2020. Now they're down to 11% support. Oh. And then you've got a huge Jewish population who always votes um, Democrat, and they supported a lot of these liberal causes until now. Mm-hmm. Now they see when this happens to us, you guys are eerily quiet. So there could be a shift. They may not vote Republican, but they may not vote Democratic either. And if you go to Pennsylvania, which has a high Jewish population, and in Michigan, which has a big sizable percentage of um, Muslim Americans, you lose some of those groups, that could flip both those states to another candidate. I just want to say how disappointed I am because I thought it was going to be Trump to destroy the Democratic Party, and it's going to turn out to be anti-Semitism is going well, to destroy the Democratic everybody Party. Looks, but everybody <laughs> looks at one thing, and you're right. Joe Biden didn't help because no. he didn't. he's not the strong leader. He wasn't. He is the first president, at least in my lifetime, who came into the White House on his first term. He wasn't the overall candidate to be the president. He didn't do well mm-hmm. in New um, Iowa or New Hampshire. It's just that when he got to South Carolina, that's when you know um, James Clyburn and others forced everybody else out of the race because they didn't want Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. That was, and that's who they got. And then they lined him with him. He was just the anti-Trump. And now that he's president, a lot of people don't like his policies. Then you got the age thing. And now this thing isn't going to be over anytime soon. And the rest of the world doesn't fear the United States. I'm reading a book right now called Kabul. Talks about the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that was like, I've learned more things in that book. And it kind of goes along with other books and other documents that I've read. Nobody fears Joe Biden. We're in the Middle East right now. And we have the potential for three regional wars, one in Ukraine, one here, and potential one with China over Taiwan. Is World War III going to be is going to break out before the next election? We don't know. We, I mean, nobody can say for certain. But look right now, what happens if it expands? Hezbollah gets involved. Then maybe Iran gets involved. And what if we? Um, have to, how are we going to defend ourselves? Well, okay, so from my from that point of view, I'm telling you is that we, as a United States, we've been in two wars over the in, within the past 20 years, okay? So we're kind of like stretched out and ready. We might have taken like a little bit of a break in between Afghanistan and whatever going on now, but we're just going to clean house. Yeah, but, okay, everybody's basing that. We're resting on our laurels. Our defense industrial base is not up to par. Mm-hmm. We shipped a lot of weapons to Ukraine. Well, that's why they sent the Marines. I know, but... <laughs> but rather see, than any other branch. Okay, but here's the point. I mean, Navy's even, there, but just okay, by choice. Okay, but even with the Marines. You send the Marines in, and Marines are very capable. They can defeat any enemy. But you still need the industrial base. Yeah. We, we depleted that. Now, this all started at the end of the Cold War. We consolidated a lot of our defense industry. So, basically, there's one company... That makes this like before this conversation started, you guys are starting a gun range. And one of the questions I asked, one of the things you're going to be producing is um, ammo. So you can have ammo production. Talking to Cody, the primers we don't make in the United States. Neither. We don't make the gunpowder. And the gunpowder eater. I mean, either we get that from Australia. Now, Australia is a dedicated ally, but Australia is what, 8,000 miles away? So why don't we make our own primers, and why don't we make 
our own gunpowder. Well, they do. It's just a little bit more cost-effective overseas. Oh, no, but, so, but, I mean, you know, we probably have a, that capability. But, We're just in in mass. Con- but in a conflict, wouldn't it be easier to produce all our domestic things for our own military here? We would like to. Create jobs here in America? But if we did it with our supplies, it cost us $5 per round of now, five, five, six. going back to this, there was, like I said last week, there was an exercise done by the Center for Strategic International Study, conducted by Seth Jones and others. They did 25 different military scenarios, changed up the parameters. If we had to go to war with China over Taiwan, we would either win or we would, we would win a Pyrrhic victory, meaning we would win, but so uh, bloodedly, meaning we would lose two aircraft carriers, 500 aircraft, and dozens of capital ships, and how many thousands of Americans military personnel and we would deplete our ammo reserves within one week and it would take decades for us to catch up i want to go into that strategy but ray do you have something of course oh, i was going to say that that was going to that whole thing about um you know bringing back jobs here is against biden administration's whole plan yeah but i mean it's okay we need to look at and this is all like, like our supply chains why is almost 80 percent of the our uh, prescription me- medicine and even our generic medicine come from China. Why? And Joe Biden was part of bringing that um, all those jobs to China. He's supported every issue regarding China since China and um, since 1972 when China was opened up by Richard Nixon. But he's the one that's going to bring jobs back when he sent them all overseas. So kind of going into strategy a little bit when it comes to like war. I mean, if we kind of take it at maybe let's just kind of look at it on the surface. OK, if we have Israel, say, fighting Iran or the Palestinians, and that's maybe something we want to try to conquer. If we want to conquer Russia, we have the Ukraine against Russia. So we already have that going on. And then say... Um, China decides to mess with Taiwan. So that means the Taiwanese is going to step in and start going up against China. Now, from that point of view, if we're just shelling out money to these countries and they're fighting a war that we're not fighting and they're making a significant enough damage, so when the United States does come in, a lot of their resources are going to be depleted from both sides where we could just come in with what we have and just clean house. But you're making the the assumption that everything is going to be clean. Now, Russia is fighting a war with Ukraine, and it's not going great for the Russians. Now, we're sending... From what you hear. (laughs) No, some of the sources. I get a lot of my sources from the Institute for the Study of War that gives an analysis of what's going on there. That's a good place, yeah. So... Russia isn't doing well. They've, if estimates are proven correct, they've lost a couple hundred thousand troops. Now, we are sending weapons to Ukraine. It's going to be different than what the Israelis need, and it's going to be different than what the Taiwanese need. But people got to remember, we've expended a lot of our munition stockpile. But the other thing is when war comes in, you got to look at the economic side of it. If the war expands to a regional war in um what do you call it, in the Middle East, one of the Federal Reserve, I think out of Atlanta, stated that oil prices could spike all the way up to $157 a barrel. Now, in August, I mean, excuse me, in July of 2008, because of surging demand, oil went all the way up to $147 a barrel. And I remember it was over $6, $7 a, a, 
a dollar for gas in California. Now, if that happens here, think about what it would do to it. We already have high inflation now at 3.3%. What would that do to inflation? What would that do to our economy? And we are now $33 trillion in debt and growing. And we spend $800 billion on the interest on the debt alone, which also factors into inflation. So this isn't going to be good. And we got a president who is not feared on the world stage. So I did. Do you, you got something? Yeah. Um, so do you think that if Iran pulls us in to a war, do you think that China and Russia will help and all of a sudden you'll see a alliance form? Well, we're already seeing the alliance and, form between Russia and Iran. Iran sends, before this conflict started on October 7th, Iran sends drones and other military equipment to Russia to use in Ukraine. Well, China gets most of its energy from, um, from Iran. So if we got deeper into war with Iran, that means the, the Iranian proxies would be used. That means Hezbollah would go against Israel. You have Hamas would do its thing as much as they can now. The Houthis and other proxy forces in the Middle East. And what's to say um, China doesn't move because our assets are stretched thin right now. So, so I really want to... You got it? So um, kind of maybe rounding, it, rounding this up a little bit is that... Um, the House is trying to pass a single bill to support or to give aid to Israel. Correct. And we said that, you know, the Biden administration it will, is more likely looking to shot, shoot it down. My first question is, has Israel asked us for help at all when this conflict started for us to even initiate giving them aid? And then second... Biden shoots the bill down, say he vetoes it, that's going to look bad on him, right? Well, it's, it can go many ways. I think the Republicans are looking at, listen, we're $33 trillion in debt. If we're going to send this many billions of dollars to Israel, then we need to offset it with special cuts. Now, Democrats want a standalone bill where you have the Ukraine funding, you have the Israeli funding, funding Israel, and you have funding for the border. So they want it all three into one. Republicans said, no, 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 no. We need to... We, we, and there's our support for all three. It's just, I think Republicans want to see where we do, like especially for Ukraine. I know Ray's big on this. What are we doing in Ukraine? I've always supported the war in Ukraine. I supported arming the Ukrainians. Not the way Joe Biden has done it. Joe Biden has slow walked a lot of the aid. First, like an example for tanks. First, he said, we're, gonna, we're not going to send tanks. Then we are. And then we slow walked them in. If you're going to fight a war, or like the old adage is, if you're going to take Vienna, take Vienna. There's no half-ass in war. We've learned that in Vietnam. We've learned that in other conflicts. But now with Israel, I don't know what they've said openly. You have to go by behind the scenes. But I think Israel must have asked the Biden administration, we need help, especially with the Iron Dome, because that was a joint venture between the U.S. military and the um, Israelis. So they need replacements for that, especially if Hezbollah, which has hundreds of thousands of rockets. Now, remember, Hezbollah and Hamas were flat broke financially because we put crippling sanctions on Iran and we uh, cratered the energy market. So they didn't get much revenue. So they didn't have money to spend on Hezbollah and Hamas. And then Trump killed Qasem Soleimani. 
and that sent the Iranians back. Yeah, they huffed and puffed, but they were stunned that we would do something like that. Nobody fears Joe Biden, and the problem is when nobody fears you, that's when wars start. Nobody goes to war with a country when they perceive you as strong. As much as people bemoan Donald Trump, he was a bombastic narcissist, which I agree, but on the world stage, he was unpredictable, and when he acted, he acted decisively, like killing 250 Russians in 2018, and Russia didn't do anything. Russia well, everybody didn't stayed in their lane when Trump yeah. was in office. So people need to understand that. He was unpredictable, but he acted, he acted decisively. Now, what he said openly was far different what he said in private, because best case in point, uh, President Xi of China went to Mar-a-Lago for a state dinner. At that state dinner, President Trump turned to him and said, oh, by the way, President Xi, we just launched cruise missiles and took out al-Baghdadi. <laughs> that, no one does that. Trump was unpredictable, but he acted decisively. And everybody was like, okay, that's why they waited him out. China plays the long game. They waited him out knowing they had a weaker president because they saw what happened when he was the vice president under Barack Obama. And now that he's president, he's shown weakness after weakness. And the biggest example is our total debacle and chaos from the withdrawal from Afghanistan. We need some big TE or BTE, big Trump but energy. But see, once you present weakness, even now, he says, don't. Kamala Harris says, do this, don't. But we've been attacked. Our forces have been attacked all throughout the Middle East about 29 times within two weeks. And we've only attacked once. So if you're going to do something, you got to send a message like the Institute to Study the War, the intel brief that came out last Monday, showed that the Cud uh, Force commander under the IRGC, which is the Re Re Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, was in Damascus coordinating this. Why didn't we take him out? Why is he allowed to travel throughout the Middle East? As soon as he crosses the border out of Iran, we should be doing everything we can to take him out and send the message to Iran don't mess with us. Are you concerned about the 8 million uh, immigrants that came across the southern border? Most definitely. Christopher Ray, the FBI director, said that he believes if this keeps going, there's going to be a terror attack. We had 8 million, over 6 to 7 million that they know of, and there's about 2 million that they don't know of, and they captured 179 on the terror watch list, was the most they captured in six years. And to put this in context, 2017, Trump had nobody. And the most he had in 10 years, I think, was 10. We had 179 who crossed. How many didn't we capture? And we're but, finding more coming from Syria, Iran, and other places. Well, you say that that Trump only, only 10 came in when Trump was in office, but couldn't they maybe chalk that up to... Or they could say that Trump wasn't doing as an efficient job looking for them, so there could have been more that you can do it. But the, the the records in the Border Patrol, Homeland Security, and um, others have said different. Ten so versus one hundred and seventy-nine. Yeah, so yeah, there's. I a, mean, there's, there's, there's um, I'm not saying it's great that one I mean, came over, but but see, even when they start to fund the border or do something for border control, all they're doing is funding the process of bringing more immigrants into the country. Mm -hmm. They're not doing anything to secure that border. Yeah. So people need to understand that. So how can you get a hold of us, John? You can get a hold of us by going to ubaldireports at gmail.com. That's ubaldireports at gmail.com. 
Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and definitely TikTok. And I guess TikTok didn't block us because they blocked me Monday to, on the audio portion. So I'm glad they didn't do that. I do appreciate everybody's comments. Um, this is going to be around for a while, so we just got to see how this plays out. But I'd like to turn this time over to Joe and Ray and Cody to talk about what they're doing. We didn't even get a centering in comments, too. Yeah, there's a shocker. So, um, so All American Gunslingers is our website, allamericangunslingers.com. We're longing, we're looking at this range from afar. We want to be with you, we want you. We're going to get you soon. We're just going to be together very, very soon. Uh, just stand by for that. We're going to have our very own gun range. We're going to have our gunsmith gun shop. And we look forward to having the greater New Perichi area, you know, hanging out with us. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. Uh, more than likely when we get inside the store, we're going to start a podcast up again. So you can get us at All American Gunslingers on all social media. Unless it is TikTok or Twitch, where it's All American Pew Pew Slingers. And you can also get uh, us at All American Gunslingers at gmail.com if you want to email us. So, uh, with that, everybody have a great day. Yeah, till next time on Wednesday at 7 30 Eastern Standard Time. Keep following Ubaldi Reports.